Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I want to thank our sponsors before I forget. And we have a new one, so I definitely want to make sure we get these in before uh, we, we forget. Scott and I were talking before we started recording about how our memory isn't as good as it used to be. So um, in this case, I'm going to hop on this while it's in my head. Uh, streets Maintenance. Uh, plumbing, home maintenance, does a little bit of everything. They've jumped on now and are sponsors of the podcasts, and uh, we appreciate them joining. Uh, appreciate Wild Rose Casino and Edward Jones and uh, Systems Unlimited. Uh, they've been around for a while now, so we're up to four on here, and we appreciate that. And um, uh, encourage everybody that listens to check them out if you're in need of any of those services and entertainment options and things like that. Um, thanks again to them for helping us bring you guys this podcast. Uh, we are recording on Thursday, August the August the 11th, a uh, little after 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, crazy week here. Scott's got a lot going on, so this will probably not be one of our longest podcasts. He's got to feel the dreams tonight, and then we together have Iowa football media day tomorrow, Friday the 12th, and then Kids Day on Saturday the 13th. So we're going to have a lot of stuff flying at us here quickly. Um, I know a lot of people will be interested in the Field of Dreams games tonight because there are a lot of Cubs fans in this part of the world. So uh, I'll check it out. I uh, I watched a little bit of the minor league game the other night, Scott, and uh, it's still kind of, it's still cool. Um, I, I wonder over time if the novelty will wear off a little bit. Um, obviously two teams tonight that uh, are playing for next season do you play for next season in baseball I don't know what they're playing for but they're not playing for anything significant you know I covered the Royals in the early 2000s and uh, it was always interesting to just try to find that dynamic of 
okay, what's the, <laughs> where do you go uh, when you're completely out of it at this point of the year? And, you know, the trade deadline's over, it's the dog days of August. And, uh, but, you know, this kind of gives you a respite. I think if you're the, the Reds and the Cubs that are so far out of it, there's just no way unless the other teams, you know, go get, you know, go to Antarctica and don't come back or something. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, you got to embrace this moment. It's cool. It's different. It's unique. And the atmosphere is tremendous. And there won't be a game next year there, as Tommy Birch first reported, uh, because of some construction going on of other stuff in that vicinity. But, you know, I, I think, you know, they, they're going to embrace this because it's, it, you know, it's monotonous for them too. And you know, to go to 162 games and you're out of it, it's like, okay, this is a good break. It's a different location. It's a different vibe, feel, look. Uh, so I, I anticipate them all kind of taking in the moment and playing hard. And uh, But, you know, for the fans, I don't think it'll be – too wild for those on TV. For us in Iowa, it, it's really going to be difficult to. There's let's just put this one out there. It, there is no way it matches last year. That yeah. is sporting events go that I've covered over, you know, what since the mid '90s as a professional. That is in the top one to two. Uh, you know, I can't even think of anything better than that environment meeting the moment. So, but you know, it's still really neat. And for Iowa, you've got to embrace it. Because this is just something that's, you know, it puts you on the map for a night. And uh, so I, 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 it's supposed to be decent weather, which is good. Last year was really hot. So I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it, even though my mind will be in a million different places, <laughs> you know, going into it and then coming out of it. Yeah, a lot, uh, lot on the, the minds of uh, college football fans, uh, locally and nationally, with some news that has hit. Uh, this week in terms of media rights deal, and we'll get to those uh, for the Big Ten here in a little bit. Um, but we'll start and keep it uh, micro with Iowa football media day tomorrow, as I said, Friday, August the 12th. So check out The Athletic and everywhere else for uh, coverage from that event moving forward. And we kind of get jammed here with two days of availability, and then we got to collect as much uh, information and interviews as we can to hopefully have some content for the rest of the month before uh, uh, we get to game week. And we may, I guess maybe we could get some access before game week, but who knows? You never know with Iowa. So yeah. try to stock up tomorrow. Um, it's, <laughs> it's that time of year, Scott, where you're just, you know, it's, you're trying to scoop up any crumbs you can find and, and the crumbs that most people scoop up right now are these photo galleries that you see on hawkeyesports.com and oh no so and so's not in the galleries and so and so's running with the ones and yeah i think you can decipher some information with those but i would also caution people not to overreact uh some notable uh i guess uh views of those photos that i think people have grasped onto are uh at receiver uh, not seeing Keegan Johnson in photos uh, is a little bit concerning. Um, that is one that I wondered about because even when we talked to him, whenever that was, it was that June or July when recently in the summer, um, he was a little bit kind of evasive about where he was in his recovery. I think he felt really good about it. It just seems like they're being really cautious 
with this injury, and it could be a little tricky. It is. Um, you know, it's weird. I remember when he was held out of the Citrus Bowl, and uh, Kirk kind of talked about it being an abdominal issue, and um, but you really weren't sure, you know, an appendix or something like that, and uh, it seemed weird at the time. Like, what what happened here? Is this really the story? Well, you know, he, he pretty much didn't do anything during the spring other than some individual work, and and uh, the summer he said he was 90%, but they're withholding him from certain things. And then now here he is, you know, he's been in the background watching practice. But yeah, that, that's really kind of scary because you, you're thinking, okay, that was, you know, seven months ago, seven, almost eight months ago yeah. since, since he uh, had a chance to to compete in a, in a practice or whatever. So, you know, what's what's going on here? I mean, you hope that, you know, first of all, it, you know, to me, my concern is more about him as a person at this point more than a player that I mean obviously for the team you want him out there because he's probably if not your best receiver certainly one a slash one b but you know the thing is if this is lingering you're like you know he's a good kid you don't want to see him hurt for the rest of his life if there's something serious there so I think uh you know that's that's something at least he's at practice I think that's Mm -hmm. a good good sign and and uh you know i don't know how much more we'll glean from tomorrow you know well they'll probably really walk a tight line if it is an injury and and not talk much about it but i think i'd like to know a little more as far as length and what your expectations are for him and and that's always the tough thing i mean iowa has opened up a lot of doors i think over the last few years as far as talking to coaches and and more interview sessions but the camp part of it is very, very difficult to manage because we've got this paranoia, as you mentioned, you know, we're all looking at the photographs, we're all back channeling and stuff. And that's really, that's a hard way to, to report. And it's a hard way to get real information. So, um, you know, and then, then of course there's, you know, questions about backup linemen, you know, what, whether they're on the team or not. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's exhausting in some ways. <laughs> yeah, it's not healthy. I think they did do themselves some favors if they were a little bit more open uh, with information and not have people speculate. But, I mean, part of it, it's the student athletes, too. They have, you know, it, it's really their decision on what, you know, information they want out there. And I know you talked to Keegan as I, as I did during the summer. And I think mentally I wonder where he's at because he talked about – of how difficult it was because he'd never really dealt with an injury that kept him off the field this long. And, you know, he was leaning on his dad and his brother and teammates and friends and family to try to, I I, sometimes I don't, I I know injuries uh, disappoint fans maybe for different reasons, but from the lens of the student athlete who are, you know, high level competitors at, at a super high level in, you know, power five football, it's hard to sit out and watch you. And he talked about how hard it was this spring to not be able to be out there. Uh, and it's that combination of, you know, the mentally being off the field and knowing that you're trying to develop as a young player to get better and you're falling behind. There's really no other way to put it. You're falling behind when you lose development time. And now that he's still out in camp, I mean, he's probably, he probably was poor, poor, you know, all spring and most of the summer was probably thinking, all right, once camp starts, boom, I'm back at it. And now he's not back at it. You wonder about, men, you know, the mental health. 
For sure. Um, because that can really set you back and then you're battling and then you're putting pressure on yourself. And the one thing about a, a skill position like that is you can't make up for it with physicality like you can in, in the trenches or, mm-hmm. or whatever. You've got to make up for it with running precise routes. And then what, what kind of happens out of that? You, you don't catch the ball with as much consistency. And that is a dangerous situation for a wide receiver because then that just sends you down a spiral it's it's not unlike um a baseball player or or a three-point shooter that goes into a slump you know because then you're trying to concentrate on catching the ball and then you and then you're frustrated and then you're thinking too much you want to react you want to you know turn your muscle memory into a point where it's all one motion and 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 so you fear for that and I'm not suggesting any of that's going to happen but the potential is there and and I I hope in his case that he comes away healthy but you know it is it is kind of a it is a concern no question you know now we're a week and a half into camp and they uh you know he needs to be out there if they want him to have a major impact early in the season and you know and i'm sure he feels the the desire to want to be out there because in the season opener his older brother Cade, who's now with the seahawks he played at south dakota state so he wants to compete against those guys who were his brother's teammates and uh probably talk you know talk a little bit to his brother one way or the (laughs) other uh so this is a, a concerning time no question for him and and you just hope that he comes along to the point where he can contribute and, and be successful doing it. Uh, Brody Brecht is another guy who's been slowed. Um, I don't know what the severity of his leg hamstring injury was from um, baseball this summer, but that slowed him up in camp. Another guy who's lost a lot of development time in, you know, the, you know, that was the, that was an important class of receivers with, you know, Arlen Bruce, Keegan Johnson, Brody Brecht, Two of those three have been slowed by injury since they've been here. Um, Arlen Bruce better <laughs> he better he better break out in a big way because he. I mean, you think about we've talked about it, Scott. It's not the deepest position on the team. You better put him in some bubble wrap or or, <laughs> or a red jersey when he's running routes. Don't yeah. hit him. No, that's really. Yeah, I mean, because the dangerous part is. I mean, when you think back six years ago, uh, when Iowa had um, C.J. Beathard at quarterback, and you had a, an offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award is the best in the country. They were the best, maybe running run blocking unit, certainly not pass blocking unit. Uh, they had two running backs that that hit a thousand yards, uh, but they had so many injuries at wide receiver and tight end that that passing unit set passing back you know decades. I mean, this was back to the 70s with Bob Cummings and, and passing. And, it, and actually, the statistics are, are legit for that. That's my fear for this team is that the, the, the offensive line could come together and coalesce and have a decent year run blocking, that you've got a collection of run blockers who are pretty good. Maybe the tight ends certainly are more experienced and healthier now than what they had then, other than, you know, Kittle was, was hurt and, uh, you know, Hawkinson and Fant weren't their true freshmen, but um, but they don't have it at quarterback. They had a, a, an NFL quarterback, and he couldn't really do much with that passing unit. So my fear is you could have a really good defense 
uh, a decent running game and a passing game that can't get off the runway, not because the court, maybe the quarterback actually improves this year, but the receivers just don't, there's not enough depth and there's too many injuries to, to make it happen. And that, that is a fear. I think it's legitimate at this point because of all the, you know, Brody Breck, the hamstring or whatever it is, you know, that's been out, you know, since early in the, in the summer ball situation. And, and uh, if, if this continues to linger, I think he's going to have to make a choice quicker in his career than maybe anticipated because you, you can't you can't treat football like the second tier sport, even though we know that's probably the case for him. And uh, I think, you know, if he can't, you know, last year he had that broken wrist early this spring. He didn't compete hardly at all. He tried to, but didn't get hit or anything like that. And if he's not practicing now and if he doesn't get a chance to play in the fall, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to rely on him. And, and this is a unit that's, that's underperformed, had over attrition. And, and now you're looking at the biggest question mark, no question on the team. Yeah. And hopefully we get good news on these guys tomorrow that the injuries not aren't severe and that maybe they're just being cautious because of the lack of depth at that position. And they're just working towards getting those guys going again. Um, again, like we said, though, you're missing development time. You're missing reps with the quarterback. All those things are important. So hopefully they get on the field uh, sooner rather than later. Um, Caleb Johnson looks like he's getting a little run at running back. Um, <laughs> I, talk, I did a story on him in the spring, maybe May before he got here, and the kid does not lack confidence. Uh, he said he wants to rush for a 1,000 yards this year and hopefully gets at least 12 carries in the opener against South Dakota State. So he came here with uh, uh, lofty goals, so to speak. But he is a physical – he's phys- He's not your typical freshman coming in needing to hit the weight room really hard. He still obviously has to get stronger. He's a, you know moving from high school to college, but he's physically impressive. Uh, maybe not as much as Aaron Graves, but – uh, he's still physically impressive. And I was always, I was wondering, you know, during the spring, um, you know, how that would shake out um, if there are any injuries or, or whatever. Uh, it's, a, it's a grueling position. So you, you kind of thought coming in, Scott, that they might need Caleb Johnson or Jezuan Patterson to contribute this year. It's just they've been fortunate with injuries at that position for the most part. But that is a position that the miles go on the tires pretty quick. Yeah, I'm sure most Iowa fans have PTSD for what happened, you know, 10 years ago uh, yeah. with the running back position. And and even 20 years ago, you know, going all the way back to 2004, yeah. where you had um, injuries pile up and things happen. And, you know, we've already seen it in camp, you know, that the Gavin Williams is has been on the sidelines during practices. So um, you're going to need you really need at least three. I think that is an Iowa, no matter even if you're having a good year, you just need three to kind of make sure you get through. And, and uh, if he can be number three, great. But I, I mean, as much as LaShawn Williams and Gavin Williams performed well against Kentucky and did the right things in the off season, they don't necessarily have enough equity in the bank to not get leaked either. And uh, you know, as what uh, redshirt sophomores, if, Caleb Johnson's the best guy. He's going to be out there running, you know, running, 
that there's no question in my mind that he'll be the number one back very quickly if he continues to take that step forward. And because it, it's a position that you can do, you know, can he do all of the things and how does he work as a leader and all that? You know, you'll worry about that as it goes down the road. But if he runs the way he appears, <laughs> then, you know, he just might be that guy. And, and it, it, we're talking about an offense, again, just go back to our previous segment or part of the conversation about the, the passing game, but you're going to need to take pressure off of it. And if you've got a running back that's 215 pounds that, that looks like that and can run through traffic and you're playing physical teams anyway, you know, that's a really good spot to be in to help your offensive line grow uh, and then take pressure off your passing game uh, and, and allow your play action part of that to really work. Yeah, no doubt. Hopefully Gavin Williams again will get good news on him tomorrow. Um, and we've we've seen it, Scott. I mean, I don't think Brian's afraid to play young running backs. He had Ivory Kelly Martin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, high up on, you know, he was number one on the depth chart when he was a freshman. And then Tyler Goodson end up, ended up passing guys in 2019 and taking the job. So I don't think that, that they're uh, afraid to, to, play a freshman at that position as long as they show they're capable of you know having a knowledge of the offense to the point where they're not gonna you know miss a blitz and and get the quarterback killed I mean there are more to it than just being able to run but a kid that physical you would think as long as he's uh able to pick things up pretty quickly he he physically he should be able to handle the job yeah. And, you know, of course, hanging on to the football is, is at or near the top of the list and blitz pickup, as you said, or just traditional blocking, you know, I mean, not even blitzing, but, you know, making sure you do things the right way. And, and he seems physical enough that even if he doesn't have the proper technique that he can help, um, you know, which is, all right, maybe he's not in the right position. He doesn't have his hands in the right spot when somebody comes in, but he could get in the way long enough and, and, stay with them that that's really going to be an important part of it but uh you know there, there's just yeah and again I remember going back remember Mikhail McCall um you know for uh, for about a yep. quarter and a half he was going to be the guy that beat out Marcus Coker but then he broke his ankle and that pretty much ended it that um Jewel Hampton was a true freshman and um you know worked in with Sean Green uh, so yeah there's Who was the other kid from Pennsylvania that came in and then he ended up leaving and getting arrested Greg Garman. Garman, that's right. He yeah. played right away. Yeah, he played right away. So there's there's no fear with them of, of getting somebody out there. I mean, Goodson played right from the very beginning. They, they were not going to hold him back. And then in, by mid to late part of the season, he ended up being a starter and and uh, probably should have been earlier, frankly. And, and so, you know, in this case, it, I think the best player will play. And, and maybe they maybe they try to temper it a little bit. Um, you know, only have them in maybe in a couple series in the first couple of games. But I could see, depending on how it goes, like against Iowa State, second half, it's going to be like, all right, whoever's the best is going to be out there in and, and the critical juncture, whatever that is. And and if it's Caleb Johnson, great. If it's Jasmine Patterson, great. If it's one of the Williamses, is, 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 you know, great too. So I, I think that's going to be really interesting. But uh, I am concerned about wide receiver probably more than I should be. And, and I do think uh, – you know, we talked about it during the summer about the, the recruitment, the attrition, but also if you're a, another position player, I, you know, that maybe you stuck on the depth chart, you know, considering moving over, but I think it's probably too late now to, to make that move. 
Yeah, from the Department of Overanalyzing Photos, I saw, uh, I think it was his own Twitter, Devin Hilson said, you know, showed he, that he was back and he was catching passes. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, that's the type of guy who maybe yeah. is, you know, just stuck behind a group of kids at running back and says, you know what? I'll give wide receiver a chance. Yeah. I got a chance. I mean, he's. He's he's more of a linear kid anyway. He was a kid yeah. that kind of had to bulk up to play running back. Um, so who knows? Maybe he's a guy who has a you know knowledge of the offense from being on campus for a year to the point where maybe the the I'm not saying it'd be a seamless transition, but maybe it'd be easier for somebody maybe coming over from defensive back. Yeah, perfect. He's one that that I immediately thought of because then you look even next year if you're able to to make sure and sign Kendrick Raphael. I mean, he's going to take the fast track above him. Uh, and so then he gets kind of stuck. And I know most of the time you think of him as more, yeah, he's probably more of a defensive back playing running back. And you just kind of got him on the bus and seen where he needs to go. Well, shoot, that's where you need to go wide receiver. Or, you know, I saw AJ Lawson was in a few pictures and he was another one that he hasn't been on the depth chart. He's kind of creeping to that, you know, uh, T in the inner, you know, T road and a fork in the road, if you will, and, and where he needs to go. And so I think right now it's, uh, but you know, who knows? It might be too late for any of this, or or it's getting very, very close to it because I just think you need to get some bodies there. And and the walk-ons are great. Don't go. I'm not criticizing Alec Wick certainly, or um, you know, or or a Cade Weijin or anything like that. They may be fine, but but we've seen that that. They could be good complementary pieces, and they have been, but they're not really difference makers. And if you want to be, you've got a defense that's a difference maker. You've got a defense that's elite, and you've got potential. You know, your punting game certainly is, and you're going to be competing for a West Division title, not to win eight or nine games. And so, I think you you owe it to your team to be as successful there. And maybe they will be. Maybe maybe I'm under playing it but I think right now you, you put all your you, you find your weakness and you try to spackle over it as best as you can yeah a lot of three tight end sets maybe um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, let's stick with with uh, media day Scott before we go to the kids day and kind of what we're looking at on Saturday but um, what storylines you looking at tomorrow? What information you trying to gather tomorrow at Media Day? What, what's at the the top of your list? Not to give away your story ideas, but uh, <laughs> kind of what information you trying to gather the most tomorrow? Well, that's that's interesting because it, it's like the 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 story ideas are almost when it comes to this team are are so we've we've known them for all the whole time. It's like what's going on with offense? How are you going to get more out of your passing game? Right. How are you, you know, what's the development like? I mean, those are the obvious ones, and I, you don't want to just just steer into that. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I mean, who wants to read all about that a lot of times? But, <laughs> but, but I do think that there's some more that needs to be involved as far as the passing game. I, I do want to know more from Brian in particular, Spencer, Alex, you know, even Joey Labus if he's there, you know, just to kind of learn more about how they're trying to go about things to, to improve their completion percentage, to, to be more consistent in some of the things they're doing, because it just, it didn't work last year. I mean, when you're completing as a team, 55%, that's, that's, that's a losing number unless your quarterback is Lamar Jackson or somebody like that that can take off and run and they don't. And so I want to know more about that in 
particular. I mean, I I, I really am going to, you know, look at defensive line because I think that's such a deep position and they can rotate so many people. I want to know more about Lucas Van Ness because we haven't had a chance to talk to him this off season, but to me, he looks like he's, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself on this one, but Matt Roth, am I fair in saying he could be the next Matt Roth, just the build and, and ability. So, you know, that's, yeah. you know, six, five, two seventy. I think up. he's probably a better athlete than Roth. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, you know, I try to temper myself and not yeah. use the next this. That's this, not a bad comp though. I hadn't thought about that one, but um, yeah. Um, and, and you think about how, he's still kind of raw. I mean, he put a lot of time into hockey when he was in high school and didn't spend as much time on football. I mean, he, I think there's really a chance for, you know, there's a lot of room for him before he hits his ceiling. No question. So you just, you look at this and you go, you know, okay. Um, You know, I want to know more about him. I want to know more about, you know, the, the thing that we get kind of wrapped up in, I think fans do too, is, we write and talk about players that are coming in as freshmen and then they sit or they don't really even a year or two and they don't really, um, you know, they develop at their own rate. It's sometimes more difficult than we all expect. And then they take a big jump like you're, t- you know, their second year into their third or for se- uh, first year into their second, you know, a guy like YA Black, I thought, and I still think that he can take that jump and be a dominant player. And uh, how close is he to doing that? Um, the linebacking core is as good as ever. Um, you know, the secondary has got some issues. So I, I really want to just know more about what they're looking at, expecting, you know, offensively. I, I went back through it. And in 2018, when they had Hawkinson and Fant playing at a high level, they had 63% of their offense had at least two tight ends on the field. And that made perfect sense. It should have been higher, frankly, but um, specialist. Yeah, right. You had a specialist, in the end, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I assume that it's going to have to be a comparable percentage for all the things we talked about with wide receiver. And But when that when you included two tight ends and or a fullback on the team, you know, in 21 personnel or something, it was up to 71 or 77 percent. I'm sorry that year. I can see similar numbers now when you have Monty Potabong and you have, uh, you know, two tight ends that you feel really good about. So that's probably their, their puncher's chance. And uh, so how is that going to kind of dictate the offense? So th- those are the things I'm kind of looking at and want to explore more in, in detail as far as talking to the players about it, offensive line development, you know, right tackle to me is a concern, um, you know, how much, is Jack Plum, is it wishful thinking? Is it crossing your fingers? And yeah, he's going to be a great story, a fifth-year guy. Or is it just, hey, he's just not good enough. You're going to need somebody over there. And so I think those are things that I'll listen for tomorrow and then also, you know, watch heavily on Saturday. Yeah, a couple for me. Um, I'm interested. I, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to get with LeVar, I think, because I think, Special teams is an area right now where evaluation is going to be huge, and and it's a little different than defense and offense, where you can you see that live action and you kind of get an idea, and you can do that with kicker, but you know what's it like when you know they run out there against Iowa State in week two, and you need a field goal in front of seventy thousand people, and that type of pressure. 
how that evaluation goes. And then also there's, it seems like there's a decent group, a, a decent size group of guys that could take over for Charlie Jones. What's the evaluation like there with, you know, trying to pick the best guys to replace him and just kind of, I don't know, you know, LeVar, he's placed things pretty close to the vest and I don't know how much you give away. So I, I want to go more into what you look for, what the evaluation is like there. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, here's one other X factor now. Arlen Bruce was probably going to be the punt returner. Yeah. And maybe even the kickoff returner. Now do you say he's just too valuable? I mean, you get he gets dinged in special teams, which can happen. I mean, the, a kickoff is the most violent play in football. And punt return, you're so exposed yep. that, that things can really happen negatively. Do you say he's just too valuable for us? And, and maybe you uh, look at somebody else in that regard. So, yeah, I know. Do you look, I remember when they were kind of wringing their hands on whether to put Desmond back there yeah. because you don't want to lose a, You know, the, one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Do you do it with Riley Moss? Who's, who's had injury and injury history. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I think they'd be, you know, I, and I could see a split, you know, where maybe on beef, you know, when they're turning punts, maybe it is Riley Moss. Although, you know, Caden Weijin might end up being that guy because he did a really good job for, for uh, Iowa Western in the past. And, uh, and that makes sense. You know, can he be like uh, Nick, Gro- uh, you know, Kyle Groningwick a yeah. few years ago? Can he do that? Which other than a fumble against Wisconsin, which was huge, but other than that, <laughs> uh, you know, he did have, a, I think he had a one free return for a touchdown. So, I mean, he'd had a really nice year, you know, as a, yeah. as a transfer and, and can, Caden Weijin do the same thing. Um, then if that's the case, do you need a Charlie Jones back there? Not necessarily. As long as you can secure the ball and maybe pick up a few magic yards and once in a while get a, you know, pick up your, your own first down, I think you're okay. Um, kick return, as good as Charlie was, Amir was better. Um, Amir was one of the best in Big Ten history. He's um, one point of one yard from being the, the all-time leader when it came to percentage or for or a kickoff return average behind. And the reason why he didn't set it was that block in the back by Daniel Stone. <laughs> yeah. Lost him at the touchdown. So, <laughs> and that was at the 12 yard line. <laughs> so 12 yards is the difference, but yeah. So uh, I, I, I totally get you with that. Maybe, maybe now I need to investigate that too. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about that. Um, yeah. Before we flip over to Kids Day and kind of what we'll be looking at there, which is kind of a hybrid of what we're talking about here on Media Day, I wanted to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. Check them out. So we flip over to Kids Day here, and we'll have some crossover from what we just discussed. But um, this is that's this will be an observational, a, one of our few chances to observe the team uh, away from game day in terms of practices. We get a we get two of these a year, maybe uh, a little bit before the bowl. Uh, you know, some stretching drills in the spring <laughs> in the indoor facility, some things like that. So this is uh, one of the few practices we get to watch. Um, for me, Scott, I think it begins, uh, on the offensive line. I mean, that's really where I'm, my focus is going to be on Saturday is just what, 
the configuration looks like, what the reps look like, and how it holds up against what you mentioned earlier is a very salty defensive line. So this defensive line certainly should get this group ready, but I don't think you can expect, you know, wide receivers, three tight ends, quarterback improvement over 60%. If this offensive line isn't better this year, none of it's going to matter. No question, because they absolutely have to run the ball better. I mean, 3.4 yards per carry is unacceptable at Iowa. I don't care what the issues are. It's unacceptable. At some point, then you go, well, you're not coaching them. You're not recruiting well enough. You're not keeping them. You're not designing plays well enough. All of those things factor in if you can't get to at least the high 3.9s, let alone really should be in the four point somethings. And uh, and so I think that is something that we're going to have to watch for. And it's not really about overall success because, you know, it's still a young developing group against one of the best in the country. I mean, it's not just it, it's a good unit. And that defensive line that will come in droves, you know, when you have guys who are five through eight or nine that are capable of starting for probably half the teams in the Big Ten, it is really going to be a challenge for this unit just to keep up. Uh, but I want to see how they compete, how they fight, how, you know, even if they miss a block, how they battle back, um, you know, Mason Richmond and Connor Colby to me are ascending players on the offensive line. I'm not sure that they are perfect at left tackle and right guard, but maybe they're the best too. And you just kind of put them where they're most needed. And then after that, um, you know, what's the competition like at, at left guard, right tackle, Center is a huge one to me because you've got a supremely gifted athlete, Logan Jones, and how does he kind of accelerate, if you will, the uh, his growth as a center to marry his you know, great physical skills? And, and how does that work when he's going to have to try to go and you know, not only combo block or scoop block or, or slip block, whatever, on the inside, but then how does he handle a one-on-one with Jack Campbell or something. So there's a lot there. They're not going to win half the plays. They're going to look bad a few times, but how they compete and how they fight and how they battle is to me part of the, the one thing I want to look at. Yeah. I get, I, it. see, it's weird as this summer has gone along, I've become, I've become more concerned with this unit and hope that's kind of like why I'm hoping at least there's, like you said, there's some positive signs in terms of, um, you know, just watching technique and watching Logan Jones or, or Mike Mislinski and, and at that position, how they identify what they're seeing and, and things like that. Some of the more little things, because you're right, they're going to get their ass beat a lot. Um, even with backups, you talked about Wyatt yeah. Black or, you know, Ethan Herkett or, you know, guys that are not even uh, uh, on that first team. There, there's Deontay Craig, there's going to be some problems on that second team defensive line for them as well. So it's really about, you know, is there any chemistry there? Is there any continuity in the zone blocking schemes? What, what does it look like at this point? And what, who's in the mix? You know, you talked about some of those openings is, you know, is Jack Plum, mm-hmm. you know, taking that step forward that he needs to take step forward. Um, because it's it, overall, it is a pretty inexperienced group. I mean, Mason Richman started last year, but he missed games. Um, Connor Colby, uh, I still have a hunch that he's better at tackle um, and maybe right tackles where he should be. Maybe Nick DeYoung 
goes inside and is a kick-ass guard. Those are type of things that I've, I've kind of been flying through my head, but I feel like I'm kind of on the ledge with this group right now. I, I guess I tried to be a little more. I, maybe I, I thought more that last year was the ground floor, that this uh-huh. year they're going to be better. And, and there were a lot of factors and reasons, a few excuses, but, but largely I thought, okay, they, they lost their tackles. We knew that was going to be an issue. And then when Mark Kallenberger didn't return and, and, you know, decided not to come for his fifth year and you're like, oh boy, they've got some issues there, but at least on the inside, they'll be okay with Tyler Linderbaum, of course. Kyler Schott's a fifth-year guy. He's played well at times. Cody Entz has got a lot of ability. And then Kyler Schott jumps off a hay baler and breaks his foot. And Cody Entz isn't healthy all year. And then you're like, Boy, it'd be oh, nice to have him this year. Oh, it's oh, like yeah. losing Kallenberger last year. Yeah. I mean, Cody Entz, I thought, was an ascending player to where he could have been, like this year, a first-team All-Big Ten caliber. Yep. And, yeah, whether it's a right tackle or left guard or wherever – you know, he was a he was a guy that they considered a five position player. So that really hurts uh, this unit. But you know, hey, it's his body. I'm not going to yeah. know how to how to fight with it. Uh, the the one thing is, I I do think they're going to be better. I think Mason Richmond and, and Connor Colby are going to be competitive to the point of being good up maybe upper level Big Ten. And then let's see what happens when they're juniors and seniors as to whether they get some plaudits for that. Um, as you said, right tackle, that's probably my biggest concern, even over center, to be honest with you. I think, you know, how Jack Plum competes with John Wagner will tell me everything about that because they're of equal, uh, you know, experience. They both have started pretty much the similar amount of games. They both, uh, you know, have been up and down in their career at times. But, you know, how they compete play after play after play after play is if it's 50-50, well, no, you're, you're all right with that. But if it's not, then then you've really got to wonder because what Iowa State is going to do in week two is find the biggest weakness and put Will McDonald there. Yep. And if Will McDonald is constantly over your right tackle and your right tackle can't handle him, and if it's kind of like David Ojabo, which I think that's probably a fair comparison with Will, Will McDonald, you're in big freaking trouble. And, you know, yeah, you could – you can combo block, you can, uh, you know, hit, you can do all kinds of different things, double team if necessary, but you don't want to do that on every play because then he can, they can manufacture different kinds of blitzes off of that. So he needs to take that step forward, period. There's just no, there's no other time like now. And if he can't, if he's not going to be good enough, then you need to move Connor Colby and then say, yeah, Nick DeYoung, maybe you're inside or maybe whoever doesn't win the center job, maybe you're a guard, you know, or, or something to that effect. I think that's what they got to do now. They have a lot of faith in George Barnett. Brian Ferentz, of course, is going to be instrumental in that, and as well Kirk. So you've got to figure that they're going to make strides because Kirk has talked him up, you know. He's talked him up the entire time. So I think that right now, uh, now it's time to show up. You mentioned earlier uh, the secondary, Scott. What are you looking for there? Yeah, I think uh, – I think in some ways it's how, you know, just a lot the of pieces times, fit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like there's a lot of pieces and it just, how do they fit? Right. Um, you look at things like, you know, Jamari Harris had a really good year at the end. Terry Roberts had, a, you know, has been a very high quality player. 
how much do they play? Um, Riley Moss has been ill um, since the beginning of camp, um, but he's going to start. But who's going to start for him? You know, is it a matter of, hey, it's going to be Harris and Roberts on the field? Or do they feel like Brennan Diaz Fernandez is going to be out there as the backup? Uh, how does TJ Hall fit into that? And then I think what everybody's going to, you know, really look at is, um, I think there's going to be over, over scrutiny on uh, Quinn Schulte. You know, how does, and that's just, and you know what? It's natural. He's a walk-on, a local walk-on replacing a guy. And yet when you have a five-star talent like Xavier Wampa and you have a four-star talent that everybody seems smitten with and, and Cooper DeGene, and is he the right guy back there? And, you know, I, I trust Phil Parker too. I mean, he, you know, whereas some of the other people on the other side, I may not trust as much, but Phil Parker usually has the right pieces in the right places. But I, I do want to see how they fit. And because we know what kind of narrative will be out there after Saturday if if there are two long touchdown passes to the tight end because the safety wasn't doing the right thing, it's going to be, there's going to be some heavy scrutiny attached to that and, and probably rightly so. Yeah, you just wonder, can they get Wonkpa, DeGene, and Justin Jacobs, three of your premier um, athletes, in the back, you know, the second and third levels, can you get all three on the field? That's, that, that is to me the, a big question. And I think one thing we won't know um, Saturday, we may not know until they really, the, the shit hits the fan is what's going to be kind of the, the rundown at linebacker. Um, they have three NFL linebackers. Uh, you have two that I, to me are top 100 picks, uh, you know, athletically in, in Campbell and Jacobs you don't want them to wear down, you know, you know, for their own good and for your team's good, um, you know, and have a thousand snaps like you almost did with Jack Campbell. I mean, you're going to want to move some guys around and different packages. And maybe it's a situation with, um, with let's say, uh, you know, Campbell in the opener or against Nevada that maybe you move Benson to, to middle and you move yeah. Jacobs to weak and or to will and, and then make sure you're playing, still playing cash. Because Jacobs is is kind of like Kirksey, except probably a little more athletic, even you know, to where he could play that. Um, he could play a catch. He could play outside linebacker, and he could slam ball. He can also cover the slot and cover the tight end. So he's he's a really experienced player. But you also want to make sure you get Cooper DeGene on the field, you know, because I think he's a difference maker as well. So how they kind of make all that those pieces fit and work. I think is really important. And that's why there's going to be heavy scrutiny attached to free safety, which is a, you know, because if, if Quinn Schulte is, and, and I have no reason to believe that he's not good, uh, obviously not, you know, it, there's a tradition there and it's been really accepting, but if he has it, if he's not as good as say Cooper and he's getting twice as many snaps and you're taking Jacobs off the field, then it does beg the question that are you getting the best pieces on the field for, to be successful? Yeah, and that's what camp's for, right? Trying to work through this and figuring out what your best lineups are. And um, maybe Jay, I, Jay Higgins had a really good spring. Maybe he's a guy that maybe you can yeah. throw out there a little bit to give Jack Campbell. Good luck getting Campbell off the field, though. I think you're going to need probably two or yeah. three coaches to get it, to drag him off the field, <laughs> to yeah. get him off there. But, yeah, you got to do what's in his best interest and get, have him full steam for Big Ten 
play. And there's a lot of young guys still in that secondary too. You know, you wonder about guys like Sebastian Castro. They have a good depth there that I think will help special teams quite a bit. Um, but yeah, um, you, you got to wonder if there's injuries, you know, who, who might step in there as well. Um, obviously, Scott, there's going to be a, a ton of scrutiny and analysis on the quarterback Saturday. Um, that just goes without saying, uh, what are you kind of looking for here with these guys? I don't know. Um, I, I tend to not over-evaluate these open, open practices with the quarterbacks just because there are so many variables of what, who's working with what unit and who, what offensive line and what receivers and things like that. Sometimes it's hard. It's, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Well, you're right about that. And I've always tried to be very – uh, you know, mellow down the middle on, on my evaluations. I try to split it in a couple of different mental areas, which is across the board. This is one practice out of 30 yeah. or 25 or whatever. So we might be getting their best or their worst that day. They might be, they might have camp legs. So maybe they don't look very fresh. Maybe they just are a little sore and banged up. Maybe it's just a bad day, period. Or maybe it's like, hey, they, this is, they haven't played, you know, this is what happened last year when the offense, you know, I, I remember yeah. saying this was the first time the offense had really won against the defense. And then everybody's like, oh, my God, what does this mean for the defense? I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. And then I <laughs> had a coach tell me afterwards, dude, this was the only time it happened on camp. Don't worry about that. And so, yeah. um, you know, I guess what I'm looking for is more consistency in fundamentals, more consistency in um, in, in placement, ball placement. Uh, it's not a matter of, you know, throwing five touchdown passes, but I want to see, you know, does he, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about Spencer here. I mean, does he hit the receiver in a place where he can do something with the ball? And does he, does he throw it in a place where even if it's not necessarily, you know, like, let's say it's a, stop route in the middle of the field where it's third and five and he's a seven yard route that, that it's a place where he can catch the ball and be successful with it you know fall down whatever those are the things I'm looking for with him and that really comes back to his fundamentals more than anything else if he can show that then he's fine now we know with him and Brian in particular that the benefit of doubt is completely gone there's no cartilage in that knee yep. it's bone on bone and if he throws a bad pass on third and six and it's over the receiver's head, it could be his only bad one of the day. We know that that's what everybody on Twitter and on the message boards is going to talk about. Man, he sucks. He's still the same quarterback he is, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I'm like, you know, every quarterback misfires once in a while. Sometimes they, they make stupid mistakes and dumb decisions. It's a tough game. And if anything taught me that from going through my breakdowns with Brian, and I did part two earlier this week is, uh, it, it happens so quickly and there's so much to evaluate in such a short period of time that, that nobody's going to be perfect every time. So, uh, but I want to see that. I want to see, you know, the development of, uh, of Alex Padilla. I want to see what he can do as far as, um, you know, being able to, you know, make some decisions, the right decisions. Cause I think people are going to attach even more scrutiny there to see if they can, if he can take that step forward, is he the guy? Maybe, maybe it's time for him to get the job. And 
And, and so if Spencer is like he was in the spring, I think it was like six of 14 and Padilla was like seven and nine, if, that's, if that still happens again, then there's some validity in saying, are you sure that this is the way you want to go? Because this is the consistent measurement we're seeing. Um, but I also try to avoid that knee-jerk reaction saying it's time for us to, to turn the page too. Yeah, and also how much progress Joey Labus has made. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think he was clearly the number three when we, we got a little bit of exposure in the spring. But guys develop at different rates. And like you said, maybe Alex has closed the gap on Spencer. Maybe Spencer is just, you know, really taking a leap forward. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Labus has caught both of them. It's just it's hard to know. Um, and it's hard. It's not an easy evaluation for coaches either. I mean, you know, you're trying to, you're obviously trying to pick the guy who gives you the best chance to win, but that's not always the case. Well, right. And, you know, you're trying to do what you can. I mean, Spencer has an advantage in so many different areas. He is, uh, he's, he knows the offense so well. He understands it. He can break it down. He can break down defenses. He can do everything mentally that you ask him to do. He has a major big time arm. And for this offense, that's, that's essential. Uh, but, you know, there's there's a difference between knowing everything and doing it. That's why there are coaches and players. And, and so I think that he does need to have that kind of separation at times. I, you know, I just wonder, can he make a similar jump? And maybe this is too high of a comparison, but, you know, one of his, uh, you know, probably his, you know, guy you can compare him to is Kenny Pickett. Uh, you know, who also works with Tony Rassiopi. And in 2020, he completed 61%, which is a number. Spencer was like at 57.5 last year. So that's higher than what he was. But he was also 13 and 9, 13 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. And that's been comparable to what, you know, Spencer's done. Can Spencer take that leap forward um, and at least, you know, get over 60% as a senior? Can he at minimum double up intercept touchdowns to interceptions? And then third down efficiency has got to be up there. And, and that's on him. You know, he's got to make, you know, complete those passes into the right guys and stuff. So, but I'm talking a lot here and do we know what any of this is going to happen? When will we know it? There's potential for the South Dakota state game. There certainly will be in an Iowa state game. If, if we have a, if there's a bad game at quarterback at Iowa state, win or lose, then it is time to turn the page because you've seen too much. And I will be among those howling saying, it's time, turn the page. We've got to move on. But with that said, uh, you know, he's, he's proven it thus far. And they, they looked in the transfer portal. People don't, I mean, just because they didn't get a guy doesn't mean they didn't look. They looked hard. They offered some pretty good players, or at least were very interested in them. Just never, just never panned out. Yeah. Um it's going to be, you know, the major topic of discussion Saturday. It's going to be the major topic of discussion for the rest of the month. It's going to be what people focus on at the beginning of the season. And uh, if, you know, if Spencer struggles coming out of the gate, the, the noise is only going to get louder, um, not only for him, but for Brian as well. So yeah. um, really, and we've talked about it, Scott, you can, we could talk to, to you know, you've, you talked a ton to Brian. I know Chad did. Um, you know, you can say anything you want to say now. This is how we're going to 
raise the completion percentage, and this is how we're going to be better. But you have to do it. You have to go out and do it against live defenses. And that's week two. I think people are underestimating how how good Iowa State may be on defense. I know they lost players, but it, it, that's a good defensive football team. It's not the level of Iowa, but year in and year out, they're going to be they're going to be um, formative, formidable mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. They are. They've got some good players. Um, they've got some good players returning. Some six-year guys like an you know, Orion Vance who I think I was still at the Gazette when he was at Washington, you know, <laughs> so many years ago. But, you know, you think of, uh, um, you know, just their, that three three five that they run and then they alter. Now they'll probably go more of a 4-2 or even more of a 4-3 look against Iowa because of the running threat. But that caused them problems. They didn't do shit last year against Iowa State, except for one drive, one really big pass. Everything was really – push to them, you know, because of defense, you know, I mean, the, the fumble recovery for a touchdown, a lot of the interceptions led to points. They had one decent drive in the second quarter and that was it. And um, Will McDonald, if you don't think he's a threat, then you haven't watched football. I mean, 29 sacks already in his career, first team All-American last year. Uh, he was sick a little bit in the summer and lost some weight, but he's back. Um, you know, he's he's going to be a, a massive problem that they're going to have to deal with on each and every play. And and their secondary turned over a lot of positions, so you might be able to find a, a Patsy or something, maybe one. But let's face it, John Heacock is outstanding. He is yep. a tremendous – he is – in Phil Parker's category as an outstanding defensive coordinator, and he's going to have a good game plan set for them. And if Iowa's offense is unable, unable to, to mount drives, to score points, to put the game in its own direction. by protect, middle, protect the football. Right. You know, which they've done, what, 15 to zero, I think you want to say, yeah. six games or um, if they're on, if things happen that way and you're in the fourth quarter and it's a close game, we know how this could turn out, and you know that, and I know, I was just there <laughs> last week, and um, they want to beat Iowa in the worst way, and and it's understandable. It's not just because of the little brother factor, which probably plays in a little bit, but just the fact that they haven't done it for so long, and in Matt Campbell's career, he's beaten every single Big 12 team twice and has not beaten Iowa, so you know that's one that really stands out for them. It's their only trophy game, and uh, they want to. They want to beat Iowa, and so I think it's you've got to you've got to come correct. You got to be prepared, and and if Spencer is off again, the way he was last year, I I, I think it's time you, you need to make a move then. But if he's not, if he's playing well and he's the player of the game, then all right, fifth year guy taking that step up. Maybe he's the good senior story mm-hmm. that you know, and then that's the one that you really need is as much as you want right tackle to be successful. You have a quarterback who's a good senior story and take that to the bank. Yeah. And that, as we talked about earlier with the Iowa state game, good chance. It's a close game. Good chance. It comes down to the fourth quarter. Good chance that the field goal kicker Mm -hmm. may be uh, a factor in that. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be a focal point for us uh, too on Saturday at kids day is just kind of getting another look at those guys after a very underwhelming performance. Granted, Weather, wind played a factor in the spring, but that's one where I think people definitely want to see some progress on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, yeah, it was a bad weather day, tough weather day more than anything in the spring, but there's going to be a lot of, yeah. <laughs> we know that, you know, yeah. um, there's going to be some rain. There's going to be some sleet, potentially snow, ice, wet, you know, wind is going to be terrible. We've seen some really bad windy days, even in like October. I remember the Maryland game a few years ago. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. It's like 23 to nothing Iowa, but it was just, you know, you walk outside and you just, you know, you can't even move your eyelids because it's just the winds in your face and they're going to face that and they're not going to be perfect in those conditions. But damn, you, you do need to make the makeables and, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a situation we're just not going to know about until they have to make a big field goal. And that could be, you know, 70,000 in Kinnick against Iowa State. It could be the same thing against Michigan. It could be the same thing against Wisconsin. Or it could be a driving snowstorm in Minneapolis. It's just, oh, you know, or maybe who knows, rain against um, Rutgers, which would be perfect for that day, I suppose. But, <laughs> but, you never know what you're going to get when you go to Piscataway. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> um. Let's go uh, more macro here now, Scott. And uh, obviously the big national news this week in college football was the Big Ten media rights deal and uh, ESPN ESPN being cut out, not included, however you want to frame it, uh, 40 years plus of broadcasting Big Ten football. Um, I think there are a couple layers to this, and I definitely want to get your opinion because I know you follow this closely. Football, I think, will be fine. People are going to find the football games. They'll watch the football games. They're going to be available. I know there's some hurdles there, different, you know, where where are they going to appear and how are you going to get them to the, the viewers? Um, definitely want to hear your opinion on that. And then also the other sports, college basketball and ESPN are, yeah, man, that's that's a big one. Um, there's the football, you, they're is spread out a little bit more and, um, also, wrestling has been big. ESPN's done a lot with wrestling and women's basketball. And I just, are these new partners going to be, um, I don't say capable, or, or how, how do you see that working out where they can give those other sports the exposure they get now or maybe more exposure? That is a great, great question. I mean, I think, you know, the football component is the number one reason for all right. of this. Um, there, we all know that. I think on the football side of things, it, it's a, I think it was a strong move by the Big Ten, and I think it was the right move. When you look at when the, when the ESPN went all in with the SEC, that you knew you were going to be secondary in viewership, time slot, um, team, you know, broadcast team, exposure. And when you can align yourself in three different windows with three linear networks as your, for your biggest three games, uh, from Fox at, you know, big noon or 11 hour time, 2.30 with CBS, and then, it, it kick, you know, primetime kickoff on NBC, you're doing something special because people can find you there. Um, then there's the second layer of that, which is FS1 is, is kind of grown in stature. There's going to be, a, um, you know, a lot of games on, BTN and there'll be a streaming component and that one I'm not 100% sure on how who you know I think it's going to be probably Peacock uh, so it's going to be under the NBC umbrella I don't know if that means that NBC will uh, simulcast it or not but you know it, it will be a, an important part of that and then uh, so I think from the football side 
you iced out, you know, ESPN didn't hit you with the right offer. You didn't accept their offer, whatever the case may be. I think you're, you're okay. Cause when you're talking about what 13, 14 games a year on NBC versus 27 is what ESPN wanted for the same amount of pay. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're doing all right. The, the other sports, men's basketball in particular, this is a challenge. This is going to be something that they're going to have to figure out. Now they're going to stick it all within their current rights holders. That's not going to, there's not going to be a separate package for ESPN. That was the one that I'm sure basketball coaches were like, Oh man, we don't want to leave them. They, they have such great exposure, but I think uh, some of the byproducts of that could be, and I'm not sure of yet is more, more games on CBS on the weekends. Uh, they also have uh, SEC games right now. I imagine they're going to leave that and that'll vacate a, a hole or two for the, the big 10 games. So you might have a Saturday, Sunday, you might have a Sunday double header on CBS, something like that I think is, is a positive because again, you're, you're on a major network. I don't know about NBC. If NBC is going to um, return to college hoops, maybe that is a case that'll happen. Um, Digger Phelps back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Him doing a Fran game to John McLeod and Digger Phelps. Al McGuire. Oh, that'd be, that'd be, that would be a trick. Yeah. yeah, You got to get, I remember those old NBC NBC basketball broadcasts with him though, and and Notre Dame being on there. And uh, those, I, I, I'm kind of where, you know, what I said earlier, Scott, I think people wring their hands too much with this. If they're on TV, people will find them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, FS1 is building a base there. Fox will show more basketball games than it has. Um, BTN, remember all the craziness with BTN in the first year? Yeah. I, I'm writing about that this month. I I've had a million conversations, but you better have Rotel in there and Barbersol. <laughs> the close shave America, close shave Barbersol. Oh yeah. Great stuff there. But uh, no, they'll find them. Yeah, they will. And, and the streaming component will be a, a challenge again in basketball. They're, I don't know if they'll be able to get every men's basketball game on a network. I don't know that. And, and that's going to be tough if there's a, a big 10 game that's on, uh, you know, BTN plus or something like that. I, I hope, I don't think that's what they want, but who knows? Um, the other sports, they're going to try to get similar exposure. You're not going to get that from women's basketball on ESPN, but maybe that there's going to be a different arrangement with one of the Fox entities where maybe once a week or something like that, or it might be a women's game. There should be. Uh, yeah. I mean, women's basketball has an audience that deserves a higher platform, not to d- diminish BTN, but, but some of the other ones. So I think, uh, Overall, it, it's a really smart move. It's a lucrative move, no question, which really matters most of all. But, um, you know, now you're going to be guaranteed primetime games. Now it's, it's kind of a, you know, in the past, we've, we've seen question marks. You know, what, is this game going to get moved to primetime or not? And now you know that there will be a major primetime game every week. And it's not going to be an exclusive window because you might have BTN have a, a primetime game alongside of it. But, I think it overall, it's, it's, it's a really good, smart move and, and how they maneuver the men's basketball, women's basketball, I think will, will tell us, um, you know, how successful it is in that regard. But losing ESPN hurts. Don't get me wrong. I, I do think that that losing that kind of relationship, they've had games on ABC every year since 87 and ESPN every year since 89. And then men's basketball, as you said, it, 
it, it's a place everybody sees, and I'm sure that the men's basketball coaches are probably a little bit down on that. Yeah, because it's those. It's I, I I think it's a good idea to to broaden the uh, the exposure on CBS on the weekends, but it's those ESPN Tuesday night games mm-hmm. or Mon- Big Monday or those yeah. the history of that you know that platform for men's basketball. But I, you said it at the end of the day. You just say to the men's basketball coaches, hey, look how much money's coming in. Mm-hmm. This is why we did it. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out, you know, we're, we're moving into the future and we're going to figure this out. It's not not going to be what it was, but it doesn't mean it can't be as good. Right. And, you know, there, this is nowhere near as detrimental as the first year of BTN was when there was no um, d- uh, distribution in, yeah. on the four major cable companies in the footprint that was that was devastating and i know i think when i'm talking to one person with the big 10 yesterday and hearing Izzo say that it's a mistake and this is a disaster um uh, about btn you know really really hurt you know for them because they were trying their best and they couldn't get anywhere and, and i don't think it's anywhere near that yeah it, it's not gonna, the exposure is not going to be as good but you know what cable companies have fs1 it's 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 legitimate maybe maybe fox has a, a night you know with the big 10 or something like that that would be smart if fox you know picked a night that people don't watch very much maybe it's friday night maybe it's thursday night or something and you know hey we're gonna go with uh big 10 double header you know that night and that would probably be mutually yeah, you beneficial. Go indiana purdue ohio state michigan yeah exactly you know get some good games maybe make those some of your primary games. So I, I think, I think overall that'll be, you know, mitigated. And those ratings are not as important at all compared to football. I mean, you know, the best men's basketball game barely scratches the surface of the worst football game in ratings. So I think that's something that you've got to be, you know, basketball coaches may have a big voice with us. <laughs> they don't have a big voice when it comes to TV or, or with the big 10 conference when it comes to this stuff. Uh, last part of this, um, what does this mean for the potential future marriage between the Big Ten and Notre Dame now that uh, NBC is involved here? Does it does it help that progress that? Is it does it not? I mean, because NBC's NBC still has Notre Dame. The clock's ticking now. It just started, you know, when this got finalized. And I was on a, I listened to a call yesterday with Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame. And, and he said there are three primary areas that they, that they would look at as to whether or not they would join a conference permanently. One is revenue, of course. Two is access to the college football playoff. And three is their Olympic sports. There's no question the Olympic sports would be much, much, much better off in the Big Ten. Because he was talking about how, you know, now they've got to take a two-hour bus trip to Midway and fly and then go right. and get to Tallahassee and sometimes it's a 16-hour day to get you know 16-hour trip and that's not in his athlete's best interest at that level but let's face it it's a far third um, it's really about I, I think that the college football playoff access will be there because it's going to expand the Big Ten and the SEC are going to want to have as many at-larges and I can see that you know there, there's going to be kind of a, a cold war fit you know figuring between the SEC and Big Ten and the SEC will want to do whatever it can to keep Notre Dame away from the Big Ten. And that could be, let's let's go with eight at-larges out of the 12 or 10 yeah. at-larges out of the 16 or whoever gets in. The revenue one is going to be the one that tips the figure, tips the, the balance. And that's, 
you know, right now they make, I want to say it's close to $30 million or something off their a year, which isn't bad, up 25 to 30 off their Big Ten or their NBC contract. Well, Big Ten teams are going to be north of $80 million. Can NBC, does NBC even want to, you know, after 2025 to expand them in that and bump them up to where they feel like, okay, we're at 60 million a year, yeah. or 50 million a year. And that's close enough to where we can make it up for our donations and our independence that we're good. Or is it going to be a matter of, man, we're too far behind and we're only going to continue to get farther behind when they have their next media rights agreement. We need to make this change now. That's, you know, I, I think it's going to be the revenue component that ends up ultimately deciding whether Notre Dame's an independent or a member of the Big Ten in 2026. Always about the money. Follow the money, as they say. So yeah. we'll continue to follow that story um, with the media rights. And Scott and I will be back again next week. And we'll have plenty to talk about. We'll have Media Day and Kids Day to review uh, after previewing it this week. So look forward to getting out there and getting uh, some information for you guys to talk about. And uh, we get closer to football season. And uh, hopefully uh, – you get a good game at the Field of Dreams tonight, and it's quick. They should put a pitch clock on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, you know, I always like covering softball more than baseball at, uh, at some levels, just because it's a faster game. But no, I, I mean, I'm sure when I get up there, I'll be like, okay, I'm into it. But it's been such a, you know, the early part of the week was so consumed with the Big Ten rights stuff, and then I also know Iowa football is a big deal, and I'm trying to like compartmentalize it i'm like this almost 50 year old brain just doesn't handle it very well anymore so <laughs> i'm with you i can relate um, yeah for sure but hopefully everybody has a good rest of their week and weekend and have fun if you go out to kids day on saturday um enjoy that it should be a nice day and uh thank you again to our sponsors wild rose casino edward jones systems unlimited and streets maintenance uh, for their support of the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.